0: The Christian life is a life of faith. No matter how you slice it, no matter how you want to think about it, you just can't get away from the idea of faith when it comes to being a Christian. By faith, we believe in what we can't see with our eyes. By faith, we trust in what we can't feel with our hands. However, I think sometimes we get a bad rap about faith, but what you need to know is that our faith is not a baseless faith. When we say faith, we don't mean just a random leap in the dark. Here's what I believe about our faith. Our faith is reasonable. Our faith is grounded in sound and logical thinking. What we believe, we believe for a reason. And I think it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to share these reasons for our faith with others when they come into question. Just look at Peter's words. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, Peter says, "...but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame." See, I think this is so important for us today. And it's the reason that we're beginning this four-week series. It's because when we as believers are asked for the reasons of our faith, why we believe what we believe, I think we become what Peter says we shouldn't be very intimidated. We shrink back from those conversations. We shy away from giving a reason for the hope that's in us. But I want you to be sure about these things. I want you to know not just what you believe, but why you believe what you believe. And I want you in this series to be able to understand that faith is reasonable and there is some sound and logical argumentation underneath what we believe as Christians. So for the next four weeks, we're going to look at some of these big truths and the Reasons why we believe. Let's start here because I think at the core of what we believe as Christians, the foundation that pretty much everything else is built on is this idea that there is a God. Now, I know that seems simple, but it truly is found and it is a belief shared by many around the world, Christians or not. See, Christians are not alone in their belief that there is a God who exists in this universe. Whether you are a monotheist, a polytheist, many theistic uh, religions share the same reasons for their beliefs in that deity. They share the same arguments for their belief in the existence of God or Gods, And maybe the most famous argument for the existence of a god is called the cosmological argument. Now, the cosmological argument is not something I'm going to come back and quiz you on later to make sure you got the name right. That's not what's important, but its name comes from the Greek word cosmos. And the Greek word cosmos is the word used uh, for universe, but it more specifically means an orderly arrangement. And so what the cosmological argument is, is it argues that there must be a sufficient cause or a reason for the universe or the cosmos as it now stands. The cosmological argument is also known as the argument of cause and effect. Basically, it says that the existence of the world requires a supreme being to account for it. The argument can be summed up pretty easy as follows. Number one, every effect has a cause. Number two, the universe is an effect. Number three, therefore, a supreme being or God must be the first cause. It's pretty logical, right? Every effect has a cause. The universe is an effect. That means our universe has a cause, and that cause is God. See, what we can all agree on is that our universe is not self-existence, it is really an effect. The consensus among all scholars, both secular and religious scholars, is that our universe had a beginning and one day will have an end. Clear scientific evidence shows us that the universe is still expanding today from its original point of origin. Therefore, it's reasonable for us to assume that there must be some first cause that originally brought the universe into existence. Right. If the universe had a beginning, if it is still growing and expanding, then there must be something all the way back at the dawn of time that caused the universe to come into being. And when it comes to that cause, I think we're only left with three arguments about what that first uncaused cause could be. Number one, I think the first and what I believe the most logical assumption of the first cause is that the first cause is God, a personal force in the universe, a supreme being who caused all that we know and see to come into existence. However, there are some other options. A second option may be that there is some other eternal but not personal force in the world. Maybe something like an energy that's out there or even particles that pre-exist everything else and have always existed. Think of particles that some believe come from the Big Bang. But what I want to point out is how does it take any less faith to believe in the pre-existence of an impersonal force or the pre-existence in subatomic particles How does it take any less faith to believe those than to believe in a personal God who exists as the first cause? I think there's one more option we're given for what that first cause could be. And really it is that there is no first cause. The third is the belief that something spontaneously came from nothing. And to be honest, some people believe that. I don't understand how. And if we're talking about reasonable faith, this is far too unreasonable for me but there are some smart people who say, oh yeah, no, something came from nothing. Because if you give nothing enough time, eventually something will pop up. Well, I think the laws of physics would tell us that that's not possible, but it is something that some people believe. But what we know is that the world, the universe does exist, and something caused it to exist. The cause, in my opinion, is God. Something that is as great and majestic as the universe must have been caused by something equally as great and majestic. That is the cosmological argument. But I don't think we can stop there. You see, if there is a God who was the first cause of the universe, as the cosmological argument says that there is, the question still remains what kind of God is he? What sort of God exists? The teleological argument, which we're going to look at now, is what helps us answer that question. And it answers it that the God who exists is an intelligent and intentional God. See, the teleological argument, again, no test, uh, comes from the Greek word telos, and that word means a purpose or an end, maybe something like a goal. And it's an argument, not of cause and effect, it's an argument of design and purpose. And what we say is this, is that everything in the universe has a purpose, and everything in the universe appears to have been specifically designed for that purpose. Therefore, we believe there's a God. Now, although it doesn't argue specifically for God's existence in this manner, the Bible does assume God's existence because of this evidence. Just listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He says, For his, God's, invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. And as a result, people are without excuse. So Paul, writing uh, almost uh, 2,000 years ago, looks back and says, Man, you can just look at the created order of the universe and understand that there is a God who exists. When we look at the universe, we see harmony, we see majesty. The order and design that we see everywhere tells us that there is an intelligent creator, that he is not disorganized, that he does not do things in an unintentionally shoot from the hip kind of way. The creator has a purpose and a design in everything he does. From the most distant objects in outer space to the smallest material detected by our microscopes, when we look, we see order. When we look, we see purpose and design. This is the sign of an intelligent God. One of the oldest illustrations used to help us understand the teleological argument is the illustration of a man who's walking along the seashore and looks down and finds a pocket watch. It's dirty, but when he opens it up, the pocket watch is still telling perfect time. And when he sees this watch, he immediately knows two things. Number one, this watch had to have a maker. It did not spontaneously come into existence. All the random pieces didn't fall out of an airplane and assemble them there on the beach. No, someone made this watch. And secondly, whoever made the watch had the intention and purpose of designing a watch that he made. Again, he didn't just take a bunch of parts, shake them up, and a watch came out. And see, this guy can make these conclusions even though he never saw the watch being made. He's never met the watchmaker. And he himself has no idea in the world how this thing works or what it would take to make it. But because he sees the end result of the watch, he is sure of these conclusions. There's a watchmaker who made a watch. Now, in the same manner, we can look at the universe and we can see this design. And when we see this design, we can assume there is a designer and this design is on purpose. The belief in a designer, a God who created all of this, is not affected by the fact that nobody's ever seen him. It's not affected by the fact that nobody saw him make the universe. And even though we cannot understand how it all fits together, how he did it, it still stands. The universe exists as a design. And we can look at the evidence of all this and believe, okay, so there must be an intelligent designer. And see, I think for me, that's where the cosmological and teleological arguments make a powerful one-two punch. The cosmological argument helps us understand that every effect has a cause. The universe has, uh, is an effect, so God must be the cause. And this God must be intelligent and in creating this universe for a purpose because when we look at the universe, we see its design. Now, though for me, these arguments are, as I said, a strong one-two punch for the existence of God, there's many people who remain unconvinced. There's many people who would argue against the existence of God, and perhaps the most important argument that they offer against God's existence is the existence of pain, suffering, and evil in the world. You don't have to go far. Turn on a news channel, open your browser on your phone, and you see that there is pain, suffering, evil in the world. And their argument is this. If God is all good and all powerful, he wouldn't allow those things in his creation. But because they do exist, God must not be all good and he causes these things to exist. Or he must not be all powerful and he can't stop them from existing. And they would argue then, if God is not all good or either if he is not all powerful, he is not God and therefore must not exist. And so the problem of evil has really been a strong argument against the existence of God. However, I think upon closer reflection and closer reasoning that this argument just doesn't hold water. See, for me, the problem with this argument is that it, ex- it assumes an external moral standard by which we measure what is good and what is evil. See, inherently, we have no internal authority to decide this is good or this is evil and have that same opinion shared by everybody around us. And so when we say there is evil in the world, we are appealing to an external moral authority by which we judge this is evil. And yet, without an, uh, uh, without a universal standard giver, how can there be a universal standard? And so when you see that God Himself is the standard by which we determine good and evil, I think the argument kind of destroys itself. Furthermore, I think though the argument portrays itself as black and white, there's a lot of gray area in the reality of the world. There are several biblical accounts that reveal to us how the goodness of God works in the midst of the evil that is in this world. And I think the most striking and obvious of these is the death of Jesus on a Roman cross. In the case of Jesus, we see God use the evil and pain and suffering that Jesus endured for the greater good of mankind, the redemption of His people and the glorification of Himself through the atonement of Jesus on the cross. And yet... In this atonement of Jesus on the cross, this great good that God has purposed, it comes to pass through a slew of evil. Jewish plots, Satan's promptings, Judas's betrayal, Roman injustice, Pilate's cowardice, and the brutality of the Roman soldiers. All of those things are evil, and yet God used them for a greater good. And so what we see is that God himself does not cause the evil, But he does have a reason for allowing it. And that is because there is a greater good that God is working for that none of us can see with our eyes. So, what does all this mean for us? Well, first, I think it means that belief in God, faith, is not some kind of random shot in the dark that we just hope is true. No, what I want you to see today is that specifically the belief in God is a belief that is grounded in sound and clear thinking. That this faith in the existence of God is a reasonable faith. And not only is it grounded in sound, clear, logical thinking, it is also grounded in the teachings and assumptions of Scripture. Right. So if you don't leave here with anything else today, leave here with this. Belief in the existence of God is not, well, I hope some big guy with a beard exists in the sky. No, there is a logical reason to believe in the existence of a God we cannot see. But the second thing I want you to see today is this. We've got to realize that belief in the existence of God in and of itself is insufficient for the Christian. Look at what James, the brother of Jesus, says in James chapter 2, verse 19. He says, You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. You see, what we believe as Christians is not... We don't just believe in the existence of a God. Or we don't believe in the existence of many gods, but we believe in the existence of the God, the triune God of Scripture. And we believe that this God of Scripture has not left Himself to just be reasoned and deduced by logic, hoping that one day men and women would be smart enough to acknowledge His existence. No, this God of Scripture has once and for all revealed Himself to us so that we may know Him and enter into a relationship with Him. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to go from here and see how this God of Scripture who does exist has revealed Himself to us and then He has further revealed His plan in the world to us and how when we understand these truths, they can change the world. So I hope you'll be back next week as we keep going through what we believe. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for the time that you've given us today. God, I pray it's been helpful. And God, I pray that you would remind us that what we believe has its reason, that faith has its reason. And that for those who are struggling with what they believe this morning, God, I I pray that they would wrestle with these things honestly. God, I pray that they would ask questions openly. God, I pray that you would bring them to a place where they don't just believe in a God, but they believe in the God who has revealed himself to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.